Hello, uh, this is Ori here, sitting with David Perlman. Hello, Ori. Hello, David. Uh, thanks for joining me. And uh, David just did his interview with Alan. Definitely check it out. And now, I'm sitting here with him, and we're here to explore. I'm very excited to see what this is going to be like. Great. Me too. But what if we're not entertaining if our pace is slow? Sometimes I talk too much. <laughs> I guess this isn't one of those times. I'm taking my cues from you. Mmm. <laughs> uh huh. And so, in addition to the work that you're doing now, you've developed yourself quite a bit. Did you say that you were into meditation type stuff for 10 years? Uh, more like 20 for a personal practice, but I, I was at the University of Wisconsin in Richie Davidson's lab for 10 years. Yeah, almost exactly 10 years. Beautiful. Doing research on mindfulness and other forms of meditation. <clears throat> uh, you know, the lab is still going strong. They just keep getting better and better. They have a lot of things going on right now. Uh, the Center for Healthy Minds and Richard Davidson. A lot of interesting things going on there still. Mm. Um, What's the most... Yes? Well, what I was going to say is that the part... That, what I ended up... By the end, the part that I was most interested in was... Mm -hmm. the, the identity part. Because... You know, in traditional Buddhist teachings, they talk a lot about meditation being for the purpose of recognizing the nature of the self and how it is always in flux. And when you say the nature of the self, this is what people talk about now with identity, like all the things that make you who you are and that you think of as the story of yourself. So my dissertation research kind of looked at that kind of stuff. Great. And it also kind of led me into the the social media and the misinformation and because of the way that you know one of the big ways that you control people is by you say things to them and then it becomes a part of their identity their sort of tribal identity affiliation with a particular group and then once it's become a part of the identity then people are unwilling to reevaluate reevaluate those beliefs like it's sort of fixed and unchangeable at that point and then they really you know, becomes a part of people's day-to-day -day choices. Identity, identity, identity. I did say that a lot. Yeah, it's true. It's important. It's important. Yeah. So we're here to 
in the broader sense, we're here to play with identity. We're here to explore identity. Identity are you inspired to play with? My thoughts on it are that the, the most important thing is recognizing that identity is transient. Or that's just, you know, rephrasing sort of Buddhist teachings. You know, the self is impermanent and always changing. And when, if people start to really define themselves in terms of very fixed things where there, there's no room for, you know, you know, there's no room for any like air to get in around the cracks or something like that, uh, that can lead to all kinds of problems, many different kinds of problems. You know, when people identify very strongly with some in-group versus some out-group, you know, regardless of what those groups are, that kind of tribalism doesn't usually lead to really good behavior um and it's tricky because one of the easiest ways to sort of teach people or or encourage people to treat someone with kindness is to think of that particular person as being family or a part of your in-group or a part of your tribe or you know a team affiliation or whatever and it creates this camaraderie. But the problem is that then if you're also doing that at the expense of the opposition to the other, then you're sort of having the opposite effect in the other direction. Mm-hmm. So for instance, there's a very classic philosophically laden sci-fi novel called Starship Troopers by Robert Heinlein. And one of the many <laughs> challenging <laughs> themes in the book is he I think he thinks that he's describing a utopian future where all of humanity on earth is all united in a common purpose but the only way that that happens in the book is because we encounter hostile aliens who are trying to kill us so then we're at war but everyone on earth is all in it together and so then they kind of band together with a sense of community and family (laughs) but that's like okay, I don't think that, like, alien space war is the best solution for us all to get along. Yeah. Wow. That's interesting. So who's cooler, me or you? Well, I just met you today, so I don't, I don't really know. I hang out with a lot of young, hip people... So I feel really uncool all the time. Because, you know, young people are cooler than old people, obviously. <laughs> but I don't, I don't know. <laughs> we got Alan grinning and enjoying himself. <laughs> Honestly, I'm afraid that Alan is actually cooler than both of us. <laughs> <laughs> What a question. Who's cooler out of us? <laughs> yeah, I suppose that's a little unfair for me to punt that one to a third party. <laughs> it's almost like what I was saying a minute ago. Well, the only way you and I can find common ground is if he's the one that's cooler. Mm. And we're on the same level. 
Oh man, <laughs> Alan gets it. <laughs> what if this creation makes us all cool? He probably feels that way. Yeah, I guess I did say that all of creation is what I think the most beautiful thing is. Uh, I guess I feel like is cool the same as beauty? Mm-hmm. That's kind of that's not really a profound question. I take it back. We have to cheer on in a line with beauty for real. But do we have to cheer on in a line with coolness? I don't know what I think about that. Yeah. I have mixed feelings. <laughs> some of my feelings are cool and some of them are not so cool. <laughs> yes. So what about you? What do you think the most beautiful thing is? Um, I... It's a hard question, isn't it? I struggle with that one. <laughs> think that the most beautiful thing is lessons of love and wisdom landed in the flesh shared in the world yeah I like that I think I guess my mind kind of went to a particular idea of beauty, but at the sort of abstract, like spiritual level of beauty, yeah, I do feel like the like the the, the lessons, the spiritual lessons. <laughs> do I get to revise my answer? For you? <laughs> <No>. <laughs> yeah, the, like the lessons. Yeah, I mean, I kind of like that story that I told at the end. I guess I could have even told that story as. A part of the beauty thing. I also, yeah. Another cool thing is your gaze. Yeah, I noticed. I wasn't sure if it was my gaze or your gaze. I noticed it too. There are just moments in connecting with you where I'm captivated by your pupils and your eye. It's like, uh, can't even say why. It's just like, it grabs me. It's like pure interestingness. The color of his iris, I think, is quite unique as well. I'm going to try and get a quick zoom on it, actually. Well, let's see. Let's see. Yeah, there is a good zoom on it. What is that color? Do you know what color those are? I think it's Gru. <laughs> What's Gru mean? Green and blue. Oh, I've never heard. Look, look it up. It's a, it's a classic philosophical uh, sort of thought experiment. <laughs> Great. I don't even remember what the lesson of the Gru story is now that I think about it. I just remember reading it sometime a long time ago. Yeah, I don't know. The gaze thing is interesting. The, you know, there's a the dyad meditation. When you hang out in meditation world and mindfulness and all this stuff and you go to retreats and like different people are teaching different techniques and all these things going on. 
yeah. some of the people will do like a wider range of different kinds of exercises and not just like plain old you know sitting meditation and just like having two people sit facing each other and look into each other's eyes it you know it's it sounds like it's kind of hard you just say that to someone and they're like eh? but then when you actually do it if you also have experience with meditation What's interesting is that you're like, whoa, that kind of like makes some of this happen automatically. It like takes some of the effort out of it. I, I don't know, it doesn't necessarily always click, but there is something about it. I think maybe part of the reason why sometimes people have a hard time making eye contact, because it definitely does do something. I don't think anyone's really studied that. You know, there's all this research on mindfulness, but a lot of these sort of other I guess what you might call more minor practices in the meditation world. They don't have the same kind of research focus. Yeah. So, who knows? Are we really one? (laughs) That's so funny that that was the next question you asked. Because when you said that about the gaze, I was thinking, oh, there was this film that came out like 10 years ago called One, where the thesis of this documentary guy was that we're all one. And then, like, one of the, you know, it's like bits and pieces all over, and he talks to these people, he talks to that people, he talks to these other people. But um, one of the, like, biggest parts of the film was that he went and interviewed Bob Thurman, who's, you know, like a Buddhist teacher guy, whatever. Right. And they had this whole thing, (laughs) and then he was like, I don't even remember. Like, he asked him some question, and then... So in the movie, there's, like, the camera showing the two of them talking, and then he asks him some question, right. and then Bob is, like, looking him right into the eyes and, like, does a gaze thing, and then there's this, like, long time of them just gazing into each other's eyes. But in the when you're watching the movie, they're, like, cutting from that to, like, the camera, which obviously means that that's Bob Thurman looking at the camera and not looking at the interviewer. Right. So when I saw it, the director was there, and he told the story of that event, and how like they got he they just would like film like that and then he was just like lost in his gaze and then later <laughs> afterwards he was like can we go back to that place and film some more footage where you look into the camera because i need that to be able to put it into the movie so then they recreated it like that yeah and then there's like a little scene after well let me ask you this <laughs> Sorry. if we're one <laughs> then um how would i know If it's the truth, then it doesn't matter if you know. Uh-huh. Which, I suppose, given the line <laughs> of business I'm in, I should probably put in a disclaimer which is that that doesn't necessarily go for mundane truths like who (laughs) what like what is or is not actually in the basement of a pizza restaurant what does a person (laughs) who has become this realization be like 
Huh. Yeah, okay, so since I myself have been practicing Tibetan Buddhism for a long time, they sure do have a lot of stories about that in Tibetan Buddhism. And they have like, you know, rainbow body and they have arhats and they have the, you know, the, this. What's uh, a rainbow thing? body if I can pause you and ask? In some of the traditions of Tibetan Buddhism, there's the idea that when someone finally achieves full and complete enlightenment, then they do this final meditation where the body dissolves into light. And uh, then there's just nothing left except the hair and the fingernails. And then I, that's like, you can find that written down anywhere. Like if you just Google rainbow body, they'll talk about that. Recently, I learned from talking to some Tibetan lamas that uh, <laughs> apparently the, 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 the dogma or the doctrine or whatever says, well, technically the, the, the you know, yogi or whoever, they didn't have to leave behind hair and fingernails, but they do that just, you know, to provide some relics for the people left behind so that they have some sort of evidence or something yeah. to focus on. So it's just kind of like a thank you gift or <laughs> a parting gift. But the idea of just the body dissolving into light, it's funny because then I've also read other people talking about sort of obvious parallels with psychedelic experiences where people can feel like they are dissolving into light or something like that. But then obviously you, you don't in fact disappear just because right. you like drop a bunch of acid and you feel like you're dissolving into light right so then who knows in buddhism like maybe it was all is one of these things in a lot of religions where they like wrote it as a metaphor originally and then later people started to take it literally i Do don't know we get to achieve <laughs> rainbow body my guess would be no uh especially because of what i just said of i'm not entirely convinced that it wasn't just a metaphor anyway um, but you know, if I got to see it, that would be pretty cool. <laughs> yes. If I got to be it, then that would be pretty cool. I feel like the, the focus on enlightenment is sometimes a problem because all I really want to see is people not being a dick. Unless there's a really good reason for it. That's my favorite. Mm. Yeah. And then, of course, you know, you could, if you were, <laughs> you could ask me to define my terms. <laughs> but please don't, because <laughs> that would be a tough one. <laughs> Not being a dick, you say. Yeah. It's sort of like the Dalai Lama says, my religion is kindness. But you can't, the Dalai Lama wouldn't say it the way I said it. That's not really his, it would be off-brand. For the Dalai Lama to say, "Don't be a dick." All right. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes I'm kind of a dick. My friends tell me. Usually when I'm driving. <laughs> What's better? Better. <laughs> um feeling like you're one with everybody and everything or owning your shit and being humble better for yourself or better for everyone else because the <laughs> latter is definitely better for everyone else <laughs> there was this uh there used to be this blog called the last psychiatrist and he had one about narcissistic personality disorder where he talked about how he would treat someone and he like describes what the conversation is and the person's like how is that going to help me get better and the answer is, oh, you're not doing it for you. You're doing it for everyone else. 
Mm. <laughs> Beautiful. But that's kind of the point then. Like, if you get to the point where you're capable of making a decision to do something where the point is for everyone else, then that's a big step. <laughs> Especially if someone had been diagnosed with narcissistic personality disorder, but even for just anyone in general, like for people to do things like, mm, yeah, I feel like that would just be the right thing to do or the better thing to do versus like, ah, what's in it for me? Uh, I don't know. The right thing to do. Yeah, that's a loaded phrase too. Yes. It's almost like you start talking about these things and like every single word of every sentence is a rabbit hole you can go down, which is, which is great because it means that the philosophers still have jobs after, you know, 4,000 years or whatever. you go uh just <clears throat> taking some notes on the episode and writing some thoughts in the comments to the viewers uh hey everyone thanks for tuning in let us know your thoughts mm -hmm. in the comments and we'll talk about it we'll talk about it on the show some of the notes that i've taken so far are about the uh, dyad meditation, the importance of sitting and looking at someone's eyes for extended periods of time and seeing the divinity and the God within each other and uh, Ori's questions about are we really one and if we are really one how would I know? Um, it's good questions. Owning your own shit and being humble and being one. My religion being kindness. Um, focusing on not being a dick. <laughs> yeah. That was a nice recap. Is that going out live? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's very meta. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'll let you know if uh, peeps comment. We have uh, viewers watching live, so let us know your thoughts, guys. Hey, hey, live viewers. Are you guys high? I'm wondering if you're high out there. <laughs> Why? Why? Why do you wonder that? Well, this does seem like the kind of thing that someone might find themselves drawn to. <laughs> if they're lucky. <laughs> I just, I had a thought. I wonder you know, I was telling about the that documentary and the Bob Thurman thing. I wonder, I wonder if I gaze at the camera, if that works. Wow, it's really not the same. <laughs> yeah, it's so not the same as looking at a person. But what if I just pretend?
But if you've already meditated for 20 years, are you ever going to open your heart again? Nah, overrated. <laughs> I'm just messing with you. Uh, I don't know. I don't. I, I, what do you mean by that? Are you saying that all that meditation is going to close off my heart? Is this, a, is this a jab at CEOs who meditate? Well, <laughs> people in general in the Silicon Valley and this great awakening in the culture of people, influencers and cool people. There's oh, a God, I wish I could be an influencer. <laughs> well, you're on the show. But, um, so there's this aspect of people who have realized something or meditate where they're like free or something. I don't know. One of the things I learned from not just like practicing meditation and going meditation retreats, but like getting into this meditation and science community like it, it gives you a different cross-section of the community and I realize that there are plenty of people who practice meditation who are not that great and in fact one of my fellow grad students uh, published a, a really good paper I think it made it into a paper or maybe it was just a, a conference abstract but she looked at some data and basically kind of had this hypothesis that some of the people we were looking at who were Americans who were really, really serious about meditation practice, they're actually scoring worse on certain psychological measures, but they were getting better over time. So she sort of had this suggestion that like, hey, maybe if somebody in America decides to get really serious about meditation, maybe for at least some of those people, it's because they got problems and they're looking for solutions. Whereas, you know, in some other country, people just, you know, they just send their kids to the monastery or whatever. It's just like a cultural norm. And I guess for me, the main reaction that I had to her findings on that was, yeah, I guess I feel like I started meditation because I was messed up. So seems seems legit. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know. But there's also, you know, just people... There's a classic text called Words of My Perfect Teacher, and one of the things in there they talk about is how the practice of meditation softens up your mind, like rubbing oil into leather, but yeah, the leather <laughs> the leather of a butterhorn, because in ancient Tibet, one of the standard things that they had was they would take a, they would have like a little crescent moon thing. Yeah, made out of leather and they'd fill it with butter and that yak butter and then they would sew it up and then they would have like a whole bunch of those strewn along the side of their horse for long travels because seriously they did not have a lot of choices when it come to food in Tibet and leather crescents filled with butter was one of their best bets but then they, you know they kick around and they take the butter out and then they reuse it as a butter container and after a while the leather gets really stiff so with that context this teaching is like, but if the leather's too stiff from butter, then more oil isn't going to help. And you definitely, after a while, you start to see some people where they just like, like one of the, I didn't recognize it early on, but this guy that I knew that was a yoga teacher, he like had this real heart to heart with me. And he, he had a, a wife and a kid. And he was like, I really resent my family for taking away from my meditation time. I just wish they weren't there. 
and I'm like, whoa, dude, you got, you got problems <laughs> with your meditation practice. And <laughs> I think maybe you might want to fall back on the don't be a dick principle. <laughs> yeah. it, it still makes me sad to think about it, actually. Meditation softens your mind like rubbing oil into leather, but the leather can't be too stiff from not having any oil for a long time. No, no, no. If the leather is too stiff from having too much oil. Oh, leather. Oh, oh, interesting. But would it more be, oil won't help. Would it be both then that if you never uh, oil to soften the mind, but also if you oil it too right. much? Oh, interesting. Hmm. Or what do you think about that? Who cares? <laughs> <laughs> that's a good answer. This is, you know, because that's kind of the point. It's easy to get just like obsessively intellectual about anything, even just meditation. And then you're just, it's just another obsession, which is not helpful. Yeah. These days... I'm alive about being meditative in the world and meditativizing the world. <laughs> so there's like a traction goal. There's like a, a real uh, transpersonal change impulse. That's kind of the opposite of the extractive attention economy. Yeah. <laughs> Beautiful. Yet, there is this movement where our systems might, in our hierarchies, might empower something new. go on we are all in a sense bound to our webs of relationship dynamics and hierarchies but if at the top of those things quote unquote running our webs is something I'm just I'm holding myself back from making a Stephen King joke <laughs> something balanced and sensitive and developed 
then we have a next world. Amen. Next world. So that's the vision. And thank you and you and you for hearing it. And thank you. You're welcome. couple comments. Uh, Angela is watching again. Lol, I always chuckle when Ori is on. He is so intense with this silent presence. <laughs> a big red G also comments. Could you ask David if he is a Freemason? <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I am not a Freemason. Uh, but what's interesting is that this whole thing with are we in a simulation obviously relates to Gnosticism and the foundations of Freemasonry and of course that's what the Matrix movie was about and the terminology was taken from Freemasonry and references to Gnosticism so I mean I think <clears throat> you know you got a thing where like whatever culture people are in they're going to use the the language and the you know the ideas and the mythology of that culture to talk about the ideas that they have you know so if you you know if your mythology is like here's what the names of the gods are then you might be like oh are we really living in the mind of brahma and if you are living in this world where everything's all about computers you might be like oh are we living in a computer simulation or like you know, if you're a Gnostic heretic a few hundred years ago or whenever it was, you might be like, oh, are we, you know, living in the mind of whatever? I mean, I guess I'll probably get it wrong. If you're asking that question, you probably know more about it than I do. So I just won't try to mess up the details. But no, I am not personally. I mean, I did Buddhist meditation for a really, really long time before I finally just started saying, okay, fine, I'm a Buddhist. And it was really just like, it was just at the point where people were like, dude, you hang out with Buddhists, you do Buddhist stuff, you go to meditation retreats with Buddhist teachers, you do this, you like, every week. And I'm like, okay, fine, I'm a Buddhist. Are you happy now? But, I don't know, it's very easy to turn that into an identity too. Mm -hmm. And then you're like, hey, look at me, I'm going around Silicon Valley wearing prayer beads. What we need is to be evolutionary together. That's the coolest identity. Mm. Does that mean survival of the fittest? <laughs> well... You can just say, no, I think that's not what you meant. <laughs> A big red G says, haha, I love your show. <laughs> <laughs> I love that, Ori. Be evolutionary together. Continue. Hi, Big Red G. <laughs> hey, Big Red G. Thanks for the comment, brother. <laughs> or sister. Yes.
Hi, Angela. Also, by the way, don't want you to feel left out. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, Thank you for greeting our viewers. And I recognize these names too. They're not one timers. Yeah, <laughs> they're just here yesterday. They're part of the uh, movement. Cool. Well, what, what is that movement, Ori? Um, the movement to become an enlightened civilization. Sure. Could, I, yeah. By 2035. 2035? 2035? Mm. Why? What happens in 2035? Um, well, this guy I like uh, had that particular vision. This guy I like. His name, if I may share, is Bentinho Massaro. Mm -hmm. So maybe he can come hang out and uh, collaborate here in the Bay Area. Mm -hmm. Anything else alive for you before we wrap up? Nah, I'm, I think I'm ready for lunch. It's Great. been an interesting morning. Great. Well, thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me. All right. Um, and uh, Big Red G says, hello, David. I'm curious, what's the significance and meaning of your coat? Looks very schnazzy. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the first... Uh, talk that I gave to a military audience was at Naval Postgraduate School in Monterey and uh, then I was hanging out with my host out there and we're walking down the street and we walked past a Goodwill and I saw this coat in the window there and it fit perfectly and it was really cheap because it was a Goodwill so I bought it and now it's kind of my like talking about misinformation good luck jacket uh. <laughs> I believe this is ostrich skin, which a friend who's way more fashionable than me told me that ostrich skin is totally out of style now, and people used to think it's cool, but now it's totally not cool. But I guess as a thing that is, as my uh, misinformation good luck jacket, I think I can hopefully get a pass on being up to the minute on the fashion choices. He says, very cool, haha. So. <laughs> Thanks for sharing. Excellent. Yeah. So, Alan, now are we good to wrap up? Yeah. All right, cool. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in, and we'll see you soon. Let us know your thoughts in the comments below.